Is this thing on? I think so. The light's there. All right. Hey, everyone. This is Pat. This is Posh. And this is the Founder Hour podcast. We're glad you're here. We have a big episode coming up, but before we get into it, we just wanted to remind you guys to please subscribe. Leave us a rating. And a review. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook at The Founder Hour. Thank you guys for being here. Spread the word and enjoy the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Founder Hour podcast. I'm your co-host, Posh. I'm Pat. And we're here in Venice with Nick Fouquet, founder of his namesake brand, Nick Fouquet. That's right, baby. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. This is great. Glad we finally made it happen. Nick, we want to kind of get started off in the early days, right? Your upbringing, where you grew up, how you grew up. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. I mean, you know, my upbringing plays a huge role in terms of the aesthetic of the brand and sort of helps me the creative elements of what I do today. But I was born in, in Manhattan, New York City in 83. And um, looking back on my life, there's just so much like moving around. Uh, after being after being born quickly, my, my family moved to the southwest of France where my father uh, grew up. And French was my first language, and until like kindergarten, I was in the southwest of France. And then after that, we moved to South Florida, which was a big transition. And because uh, my, my mo mother's family was there, and uh, we'd go back and forth every summer to the southwest of France and spend time there. So, so I was able to to keep refining. And uh, I would never be able to tell that your first language was French. I know it's, it's crazy. It's, a, it's like. Uh, it's really, yeah. even when I go to Paris, I'm in Paris and I'm like walking around, I speak fluent French, like just as, just as, say, just say, as well as I speak English. Say something in French so we could get a sense of the... Like, if you want que je te dis que t'es un beau gosse, t'es là, on est tous ensemble, Venice Beach, Los Angeles. Wow. Mais ouais, enfin, you you play vie, both quoi. sides really well. That's yeah, good. I know, I know. Um, but so I'm like, I'm like in Paris, like just recently and like, I, I'm like, bonjour, comment ça va? Je veux un croissant et un café. Like, I want a croissant and a café. And they, and they, and they, and they, and they, and they talk to me in English. Back in English, because I look so American. It's totally similar to like I, I, we're Armenian. I went to Armenia for the first time um, this past year, and it was the same thing. Like I would try to speak like my perfect, you know, Armenian, uh, and, they're hitting and all of a sudden they're just like, Andrew, they know I'm, they know I'm a foreigner. Like they know I'm not from Armenia. <sighs> yeah. um, so you were super young when you guys moved to France. Yeah, to France. And again, you know, I'm really like European East Coast, but everyone thinks I'm like from there. Like, well, I thought you were from LA and California. I'm like, no, not at all. I've lived here for like 12 years, but yeah. Yeah. Why did you, uh, so how old were you when you moved back from France? When I moved to Florida. Oh, you said you were just going uh, I was about Florida? six or seven when I moved to South Florida. Okay. Yeah. And, th and then after that, I got to, you know, after grade school in South Florida, I, I got shipped away to New England to, to boarding school because, like, that's what East Coast families do. And, like, a better education. It was fucking awful. It was the worst. <laughs> I hated it. Like, got kicked out of one <laughs> and then got sent to another one, which is an all-boys one. And it was just, like... Yeah, it was awful. But growing up, um, I guess did did that moving back and forth did that affect kind of just like your social life at all, or just being able to, I don't know, make yeah. friends and keep friends and be around your friends? I mean, all it, the time? it affected my nah, not really, but it definitely gave me this sort of bi it gave me a bicultural upbringing where you know today I'm so grateful for it because, um, you know, I there's there's just so many so many things I'm I'm grateful for of having that upbringing just seeing things in a different way you know friends growing up in america had this american upbringing and i had sort of this other twist and take on life that i saw you know yeah. across the way um yeah it was really important nick why did you move to france well i think that uh, you know my mother wanted us to to i guess to have this this bicultural upbringing and um i think at the time my you know my mom's a bit of a francophile and and Going back to the southwest of France seemed like a, you know, good upbringing for the for the kids, which it was, you know, small like fisherman town, and um, yeah, that's that's why. Was your dad working out there? My dad wasn't working too much out there. Um, my dad sort of took a hiatus. He's um, 
model and uh he 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 sort of took a break during that time to to help raise with my mom and then got back into the game after we were has he was it was he always a model from a young yeah, age my dad's been really? a model since i, I thought known. he was one of those guys maybe like you know as you as you as you get older and you just get like i mean a lot of people you know you for, don't age, age like well but line. he aged like really well and yeah. he just became a model because there's a lot of people like that too or even actors like a lot of actors like that yeah pop off later yeah, yeah no my dad's been popping off forever Forever. You know, since I remember, he was uh, you know on the cover cover brochures of like restaurant ads. You know, yeah. you go, Dad, you're here too. It's like, yeah, free steak. For dinner. those that are listening that don't know who Nick's dad is, just search Bernard 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 Fouquet, Fouquet and yeah. you'll see. You'll probably you're probably seeing him all over Instagram. <laughs> um, yeah, Nick, I know you grew up with five sisters and your mom, so six women, and um, I can only imagine how. Uh, interesting and challenging that can be but how was that like and obviously having your dad be this pretty well-known model at the time how did you feel about all that and you know what were you really like as a child i know we'll get into the whole getting kicked out of boarding school a little bit after uh, but just kind of growing up what what was it like in the house i mean i was a really shy kid you know and i think just to some extent today i still am you know the nature of my business you know being what it is in the name of it being me like i have to put on this sort of this 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 character and and act uh you know because in, i'm in, i'm like an introvert introvert for sure and so being with a bunch of sisters growing up you know was 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 pretty interesting you know i i kind of got I don't want to say I got bullied or picked on, but, you know, it was <laughs> I kind of did by my sisters. And I love them, and I love women, you know. I, I, I find such a, a close, like, attachment and relationship to a lot of women and girls in my life. And, um, and they, you know, my sisters were all artists. They were musicians, actresses, you know, writers, dancers. And I think, like, being being the only boy, I, I back then, I... I mean, I popped off later in life, mm-hmm. and I always was so admirative of them and, you know, go up on stage and, you know, play piano, and, you know, do all their creative endeavors. And, like, I, 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 I wasn't, you know, I didn't think I had that in that bone in my body. And um, I just, uh, you know, I, I love my sisters. I'm so grateful, grateful to, to have grown up with with all those girls, you know, although sometimes it was really difficult, <laughs> a lot of drama and a lot of times in the months they were angry. I didn't know why. <laughs> now I know why. Now you know why. Um, what kind of, like, what kind of things were you into as a kid? What did you kind of spend time doing? Well, one of my, my little sister, or who's like a 14 months younger than me is, you know, my best friend even today. And we were into like skateboarding and, uh, and just like, yeah, just just skateboarding around town, and um, that's all. Actually, when I think back about it, like, and when you were young, you know, you could like get cigarettes, and we'd like skate around and smoke cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was also like kind of a dork. Like I was like in the computer games, like playing Nintendo, and um, and like watching TV. You know, that was my thing. So- a regular kid, like regular kid, nothing crazy. Yeah, nothing crazy, <laughs> nothing crazy. I wasn't, yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell us what happened at school. Like, why weren't, did you not like school? Well, you... yeah, cigarettes lead to drugs, I guess. <laughs> and this is while you're at boarding school. Yeah, so I got sent to boarding school when I was 14, 14 or 15 in a school in Massachusetts called Brooks, who, funnily enough, keeps, after they kicked me out, keeps sending me, like, letters for, you know, to... Fundraising. To, yeah, to give them money, and I had to call them and be like... <laughs> like, I barely came here. <laughs> guys, I got kicked out. Like, why do you want my money? <laughs> and they stopped sending sending me those letters, but oh, yes. um, you know, I was just like trying to be a part of, and I felt sort of uh, very different. And coming, being French, and you know, kind of uh, from Florida, and a little like dorky and chubby, I was just like met this guy who I don't know why I'm telling this story, but like who who I thought was so cool, and you know, he ended up being like the weed dealer for the school and you know starts i got busted you know i got yeah. busted with him hanging out and got sent to an all-boys school and that was like going to military school and you know it was kind of tough it was a tough transition but i think i learned a lot uh 
you know, a lot, a little traumatic, but I learned a lot. It sounds like you were almost like a rebel after you came back from America and were kind of put in these positions. Uh, wh why do you think that was? I just think I've always had the urge to do things differently and be different. And, um, and I, <laughs> I think I like to just like try things and experiment. So, um, but I wouldn't say I was like a rebel and like a bad kid. I wasn't. I was always, I was really, I was, I was a good kid. I was tame. Did you finish the all boys school? I did. Yeah. I graduated. I graduated and yeah. And then I went to a school in California called University of Redlands outside near San Bernardino, which I was like, oh man, I'm going to California. And like, it was whack. It was the yeah, not Laguna Beach. What, what did you think like you would do like career wise? Did you have a plan or no, not at all. And I think growing up, I'd always put so much pressure on myself to try to figure out what I wanted to do. But once you enroll in university or college in the first year, they ask you to, you know, find a major. And I think that's too premature for kids at that age to try to find out like what they want to do for the rest of their life. It's just such a big idea. Um, and so I left university of Redlands. I, I went to Patagonia for about like four or five months. Um, so you dropped, you dropped out of Redlands or you just like took a leave or. Yeah, I, I left. Um, and then in the summertime I was trying to reevaluate what I wanted to do, wanted, you know, where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. And, um, and I was living in Topanga, funnily enough, where it's just where I live today. And my dad's not too far from here, but my dad's best friend is like a 60-year-old techno DJ. And he's living in Topanga. And I ended up living with him, this French guy. And uh, he was like, I was like, yo, what if I like went to Patagonia in South America and just sort of like camped out? And he's like, dude, that sounds like such a great idea. You should go do that. And uh, ended up, you know taking some money from my mom without her knowing and booking a flight down there and catching up with like a, a an organization that sort of led these outdoor leadership programs and it was fucking awesome like what I was, was it called like, it was called Knowles now National Outdoor Leadership and um you know didn't take a shower for 4 months and lived in a tent and first week I wanted to leave and I was like what did I get myself into and then like it was one of the it was one of the best things I've ever done in my life I'm curious like about. what were like the main things you learned from that because it's funny you bring that up I'm, I'm reading a book right now about um it's the CEO of Netflix he wrote a uh, like a, a book about the whole how the whole Netflix story came about or the business and he he alludes a lot to his outdoor expeditions with a lot of these organizations and how he it's made him become a better leader in business so I guess for you what were some of the things that you learned doing that that I guess now you can look back and be like, wow? Yeah, you know, I mean, I should put a lot more thought and sort of like think back in retrospect of those experiences. But like some of the things off the top of my of my head is like, you know, it takes a team, you know, and, and like a leader, um, a leader like – helps a leader is a leader is there like i remember there was you know we were going over this like ravine and like you know every week or every other day we you know switch change leaders and i remember one of the guys i forget his name this sounds like a trivial story but it was actually like really interesting when i think back on it and you know without him knowing instead of him like jumping over the ravine and being like guys come this way he like dropped his pack and you know, helped everybody and took their pack and their pack and going off. And I remember like the captain, like the older guy was like, that's what a leader does, you know? And there was like things like that, that, I was, that I, you know, I think I also learned an amazing um, term <laughs> that I still use to this day that came from, from, from that program was, you know, a lot of people would complain and the guy would say, you know, don't give me problems, give me solutions. And to this day, it's like I have people yeah. on my team that are like, you know, like this buyer won't do this and that. I'm like, I don't. You're giving me problems here. Come here, give me a solution. Give me two solutions, you know. Yeah. And so it's it's that was like still something I use to this day. And Nick, you're like what, 18 years old at the time, or yeah, I'm like 17, 18, 18 years old. Yeah. Do you think that the four or five months you were there, or however long you were there? Did you come back with this newfound sense and a newfound idea of who you were? Yeah, I mean, for sure, you know? And it's, like, interesting to talk about it now. But, yeah, I came back and I, I definitely, you know, had my eyes open. And I think then I'd caught 
the travel bug, you know, because I'd been gone for three, four months. I was young. And that sort of led me to go and explore the world and get inspired. And I went to Australia. I went to, oh, my God, I went to so many countries. Like, I can't even, I just, I went I went all over, like, Nepal. And, and how are you making money while you're on these trips? Well, back then, I was like, you know, you could get, a, you could get like, a flight. This was later. And you could work at, like, a hostel. And you could stay there for free. And they could give you some money. And then, you know, I'd come back. And I'd bartend. And I'd work. And then I'd go again. Like, I wasn't, like, traveling the world for two years straight. Like, at the age of, eight, like, 18, 19, 20. It'd be, like, in the summertime for, like, a month or two. You know, my family would go to France. And I'd go jump to Egypt to go see my friend that was, like working for like a chic millionaire like on the boat and i'd go crash with them and you know it was just like total budget travel back then but i was so inspired every time i'd go somewhere and i was like you know this is like the school of life and the best education that i ever received yeah i mean it's interesting because like i'm sure a lot of your friends are the people that you knew that were like around your age were in college at the time studying something like that they thought they would do for the rest of their lives, but you're sort of out, you know, getting all these perspectives from different yeah. cultures that yeah. maybe, I mean, just don't come across. Even in a town like LA where there's people from every culture, you still don't really get that that real, real sense of what each of these cultures well, are. Well, yeah, and, and Americans in general aren't known to be like big travelers, and you definitely yeah. see that when you're, you know, out and about. There's like people from Israel, there's people from Germany, there's people from every, but Americans, like very rare that you come across an American traveler. I'm curious, so why do you think that is? <sighs> I think Americans think they got everything in America. <laughs> <laughs> but they do. We got beautiful places here, you know. We, we do. I think. I think what we don't understand that if you if you're not exposed to other cultures and maybe like for example like their food or their architecture, you don't realize that like we don't have the same level of quality here in, in America. It's a young country. You like know? you go to Europe over, and you see yeah, like a church that's like, like, unreal. Like the, I've never tasted anything like it. Just going out to other countries. Yeah, yeah, but you know, the, so that all that, you know, when I went back to to school in Florida, I decided to enroll myself in uh, environmental science and sustainable development, which to this day, you know, I don't practice those the principles of, of, um, I mean, I do. You know, we try to keep things as sustainable as pro possible within like the workspace and reduce our, you know, plastic single use consumptions. But you know, I think. Um, Patagonia and then traveling gave me a huge appreciation for conservation and preservation, renewable energies and, and, um, and yeah, so that's, that's what I started. That's what I enrolled in because at that time still, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, if I would have known I ended up becoming a hat maker, I wouldn't have told my parents to spend a ton of money on a fucking education, yeah. <laughs> but you know, would have so been like, give me my, give me the money now. And I did tell them that. <laughs> I'll start I was, a business with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? And, but so after like the two years of traveling, you, you went, you went back to Florida and that's when you enrolled in college again? Yeah. Okay. I'm curious all this time up to 18, 19 years old. You're doing all this travel stuff. You're working these small jobs. Did you ever have any interest in fashion? Yeah, I did. My dad was was sort of by proxy involved in it, being a being a model. So he'd always come back with with clothes. And my dad is a very very stylish um, stylish gentleman and uh, and a huge inspiration for me. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely always wanted to be involved in a part of and like what i said my dad go on production shoots and so he was involved with like the models and the set designers and i love that creative world so much and 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 it wasn't until later that i uh worked for a designer in la who did reproduction world war one world war two clothing and had a brand of it of his own his name is christophe and the his store is still here. It's called Mr. Freedom on on uh, Melrose, and I just fell in love with the craft and to see something come, you know, come to fruition from start to finish, and then be a wearable piece of art was to me, you know, really just I was just so in love with it. And I remember getting paid like you know minimum wage, but doing I was like so I was so happy. And back then, you know, doing fashion and being involved in that was not like wasn't. You know, it, it wasn't what it is today. It wasn't cool. It, it wasn't, yeah, and it wasn't cool. It wasn't that cool for a hetero, heterosexual guy to be involved, interested in, in fabrics and clothing, you yeah. know. But I'm European, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but today it's like everyone's got their brand. But it's, it's you know, yeah. 
But then, you know, what I do is so different than like just like starting a brand and throwing a label on it, you know? I mean, I think even like obviously the rise of e-commerce has made it a lot easier to distribute stuff too. Like even if you have, you know, a physical store, there's a lot you could do online that a lot of people back then couldn't. So if you weren't somewhere that you're easily visible or people know what you're up to, it's kind of hard to get your product out in a way. Yeah. And I mean, social media obviously has been a huge uh, tool. You talk about your father being an inspiration for you in the fashion space. I'm, I'm curious, did you ever go with him or accompany him on any of the shoots that he had? Any people that, you know, you met along the way that later became, you know, a resource for you? I mean, there wasn't that much crossover later, but, um, I mean, the photographers that I saw, I guess, I I went on some shoots with him and saw saw the world. And, I mean, you know, it was like a fun and entertaining, interesting world. How so? Uh, well, I mean, you know, you go on a set and you're like, who are these, you know, they're beautiful, beautiful girls. And like, you know, always like an interesting production guy and the hair and makeup people were, were like really cool and funny. And so it's like this this community and, and microcosm of of uh, of creative people on on uh, location. And I, I, I thought it was so cool, you know. I'm curious what happened. So did you end up graduating from the environmental sciences yeah, program? Yeah, I did, yeah. Um, what did you do in between that time and working at the um, store here on Melrose? Oh, well, that was actually later. I kind of jumped around. But like yeah. after I graduated, I went to New York and was sort of definitely did not use my environmental science degree at all. And <laughs> worked uh, worked uh, at, a, at, my fr- at my friend's coffee shop, Nikki Mathers at the time. I don't know if you know who that is. You know Nikki. Back then in New York, he just had this one place called Ruby's, which is on, uh, on, uh, oh, fuck, what's that street in uh, Little Italy? Yep. And now he has one uh, right next to Stout in Santa Monica. Yeah. But so I worked there and it was next to this clothing store called Subi. And I should have worked at Subi, but I ended up working at Ruby's. And uh, it was sort of like we're all like fashion models and like would come and I was just like this kid from Florida and you know it was amazing it was such a great experience and I got to get a real taste of like New York City life and culture and uh and that was cool so how, how what brought you to LA ultimately after that <laughs> well I've been I guess I've been like a bit of a nomad and like testing territories and going places and I ended up uh I then lived in Colorado for a year in Aspen and then after that was, you know, working as a ski bum, working at, you know, painting and working at a restaurant, I ended up com- coming to see a friend in Venice. And I never really loved Los Angeles too much. And when I came to Venice Beach, I thought it was like the east, you know, the Lower East Side with skaters and surfers. And I was like, yeah. man, I think I've found my Valhalla here. This place is awesome. And uh ended up staying here. And that's when I ended up slowly working for uh Christoph. How, how old how old were you at the time when you made that move to LA? Twenty I must have been twenty six, twenty twenty five, twenty six. Yeah. Mid twenties. And I know that's like an age where it's tough because like you're like you're kinda you know, finished with college, most people, and then getting into just kind of building your career and here you are sort of just exploring life trying to figure out where what line you're going to go down like where where are you going to build something right like how are you going to either build a career or make enough money to survive and all that kind of stuff were you feeling any pressure at the time oh my god yeah (laughs) so much pressure i mean i'd always put so much pressure on myself to try to figure out what my path in life was going to be you know i saw a lot of my friends growing up in south florida their 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 families you know own these huge these huge businesses like sugar industry is you know like all this like and I, I was kind of envious of them because I knew that they would end up having sort of like an autopilot life and there's something where you know at that time I was like oh my god they know what they're gonna do next and you know I didn't have those opportunities handed to me like they did so I had to blaze my own path. And I didn't know what that was at the time. And I think like a lot of, you know, young kids, you know, especially today, don't know what that's going to be. And it's scary. You know, it's a scary, it's a scary, and it feels like a lot of pressure because you, you look on social media and everyone's, you know, traveling and doing their things and having their fabulous life. But, you know, 
what do you suppose what is one you know you got to find you got to follow your passion yeah i mean it's, no, no, yeah, it's, hard, it's hard to find your passion and figure is. that out not everyone can you know and like that's why today i'm so grateful that i found something that's so random and sometimes like yeah it's so random but it's like i love what i do and I yeah let's kind so of talk blessed. about that because i feel like you bring up passion and it's an interesting word because I've, I've definitely been more of like a consumer to try to understand what that really means, you know, and, and I think lately what I've been kind of like stumbling upon is, you know, they, you know, you always hear like follow your passion and that kind of stuff. But like you said, it's, it's really hard to find a passion and it's not until you kind of fall into something that you didn't even know anything about that you sort of start developing that passion and passion can be developed. And a lot of, I think there's a misconception that like everyone you know, if you just kind of sit at home and you think deep, you know, internally, you'll kind of stumble upon, oh, this is, was my passion all along and I should pursue that. But generally those things are not your passion. They're, they're just interests that you have. And, you know, passion often is, is really like something that you develop as you do something more and more and get good at it. So how yeah. did the whole hat thing come about? I mean, it was like fully by accident. People are always like, did you go to school? Was there somebody in your family that was like hat maker? Like, no, not, not at all. Not at all. It, was, uh, it was a complete like fluke accident. And after working for this, while Walt's working for this, this guy in L.A., you know, and working on, on industrial sewing machines and making things with my hands and having, you know, my sisters being creatives and me not being one but really like blooming later, you know, I was like, I want to do something you know, I was just ambitious and and ignorant of uh, what it what it requires to t and takes to to build a brand. But I was just like, you know, so so interested and so passionate. Uh, and I was like, oh well, let me try to find something that's undersaturated. And everything at the time, I, when I think about it, even today, is so oversaturated. Denim and t-shirts and you know a lot of the ready-to-wear categories. And I stumbled across hats, seeing this guy. Western Western guy walking down the street wearing this cowboy hat and I was like, Where'd you you know, where'd you buy that? And he was like, I made it and I was like, What do you mean you made it? He's like, Yeah, you know, I was working for a guy in uh in Utah and sort of learned this craft. And at that time it just blew my mind because I was like, what you what you mean you made this? And I was like, How? And he was like, Well, you know, there's these these the, the, these pieces of equipment that are over a hundred years old and they're called like brim presses and you know, flanges, and, and I was like... Was he a hat maker, or he just happened to make it for himself? He was a hat maker. Okay. And, and so I was like, well, how do you get this equipment? And he's like, you got to go on the treasure hunt and sort of find. And all these guys at the time were like 60, 70-year-old, you know, Western cowboy hat makers, traditional hat makers. And I sort of, you know, made some money doing smiling jobs because of my, you know, through my dad's, through, through my dad's circle, and... And working for, for this designer, and I sort of started putting this money together to buy this old equipment, and I rented this old garage, this underground garage, which I just found the pictures to, on Abbey Kinney, my, from this guy, Bruce Wisnicki, who, um, who you know, was such, is such an amazing guy, and uh, let me rent this facility underground, and slowly but surely started just tinkering away and trying to figure How out. long were you working um, at the store on Melrose? Like, did Two you get Two and a half years. So at this point, did you, uh, you were obviously working like sewing, you're making clothing. Yeah, yeah. And, I'm and assuming like doing pretty, odd jobs. And I'm then, assuming you're pretty good at it and you like enjoyed doing that or. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I was good at it. I just liked it, you know? Yeah. And that's when I sort of realized like, oh, I found my passion. I found my path. I, I found something I love, which is, which was, it was, is in fashion, you know, which was clothing, which was garments, which is fabrics, which was create, which was creating something and and i felt i i just i just felt it made sense and it clicked you know nick this guy that you talk about i mean random guy you're just walking on the street and you saw this guy wearing a hat yeah i mean it's venice we're on Abbey bikini and be like walking down and ended up uh ended up yeah so did he teach you anything i mean did you guys end up exchanging contact information in? yeah we did we ended up even like working together and i was like let's partner up and do this but you know as uh Unfortunately, I think a lot of partnerships uh, they they you know dismantle as quickly as they get set up. So it was it was an unfortunate you know series of events, but you know it just didn't work out. And so then I was left with um, you know since I'd put up the capital 
I had all this equipment. I didn't have a partner. And then I had an opportunity to move above ground in Abikini. And I like rolled the dice and looking back on it, there's certain, there's a lot of times in this business that like were make or break moments or sort of like, you know, I wouldn't be here today, but I took the chance and sort of like re-upped on the, on the investment. What year is this? This is 2000 and 11. So what was the plan? Like you would just make hats and. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like looking back on it, like the plan was like stupid, right? It was, it was like, but, but what there you, was no plan. But you know, you I didn't go to like, business. What? You, like, what were you envisioning at the time? Like you would make hats and then how would you sell them? Well, you know, when I look back, it's like kind of ridiculous, but that I would slowly continue to, you know, create pieces that I would sell at the time. There wasn't a market for, you know, expensive luxury hats that were handcrafted and handmade. And I sort of had to build out like a niche for that, which I think I did. And, um, you know, it was just sort of like, look, I remember being like, like hiring like my first blocker, first uh, seamstress and being like, look, I only have enough money for the next six months. If it doesn't work out, like I'm just letting you know, like I'm going to like shut shop. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, and that was back then. And that was six years ago. And how were you getting the word out at the time? Like, you know, it was super organic, you know, it was super organic. We were working in the back house of this place on Abikini and, you know, people would come in and, Oh, so they like it was visible to the street. Like it, it was, was a visible store. to the street, okay. and 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 that was um, and that was like a big that was like a game changer back then. And I had people coming in. I had stylists. I had you know I had I had Bob Dylan's people come in. We were making ads for Bob Dylan, and then uh, it was, you know Madonna's team came in. And Do you think it was just like the location then, or what? Yeah, what? I mean you know with yeah. retail, it's all about location, location, location. Those are like the three criteria to to yeah. And to, it was it was called Nick Fouquet at the time. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I changed it. I, it was Nick Fouquet, yeah. You know what? I'm just trying to process this. You you had no idea that there was a mar- even a market? I didn't, you know? I mean, but like, wh- wh- why even take that risk? Luxury hats. I mean, I'm 20, you know, I'm 20. I, I just was, you know, I, I don't know. It's just... I didn't, I didn't overthink it, you know? I didn't overthink it. And people... Again, it goes back to passion. People were... You know, I know this is like the founder's hour and this is about probably like a lot of like, you know, people with net worth with over or maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. But to me, it was just like, again, going back to passion. People, people, you know, if you think that I would have started a, a luxury hat business because I wanted to be a millionaire, you're wrong. This is this is the wrong business yeah. to get into, you know, like and I, I have an amazing living and I, I afford myself, the you know, the opportunity to live in Los Angeles. By no means am I, a, you know, multi, multi millionaire. I have a very comfortable living and I'm super excited, but I started this because it's something I fell in love with. It was a, a passion that became an obsession that turned into a business. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't start it because I was going to be like, I'm going to sell my company for $200 million. You know, I would have gone into tech or I would have tried to do something completely different. So I did it because I want, I had a creative urge and I ended up finding my, my voice in the craft and becoming an artist, not knowing that that was what it was going to lead to. And just doing something that I loved, you know, and I was just fortunate that yeah. it, it was it was to work out. But there was no business plan. There was no game plan. There was it was nothing like that. So what do you think, I guess, drew attention to people like you mentioned Bob Dylan, like these really big names that everyone I'm assuming is trying to get to. And he's just an example of one. But like all these, you know, like, like a lot of people in the fashion space want to put their clothing on celebrities so everyone can see it. And all of a sudden now you blow up in your brand, right? What do you think caught their attention? Were, were, they, were they just, did they just happen to walk in one day and they're like, that's it? This is awesome? Yeah. I mean, hats are just an, an interesting accessory. And for artists, whether you're a musician or an actor, it's also it gives this allure of, of a of character being interesting um you know i don't know how it all really unfolded what i do know is that we've never gifted any hats to celebrities or any hats to you know in general like rarely do i even do that because there's so much you know craft and and you know these hats are expensive because the raw materials are expensive in themselves but what i realized is these 
you know, people were doing my marketing for me, you know, and I, I was like, if someone wants something, they're not, they shouldn't get it for free. They should pay for it, you know, especially if you're a really rich celebrity. But um, it's, it's, the beautiful it's funny, thing, right? A lot of times, like the yeah, richest people. Yeah, but that's don't one have thing, it. and you can ask anybody on my team. That's absolutely. It's like I'd rather give or gift a hat to the retail guy down the street that doesn't have any money that really loves the brand and wants to wants a hat so badly. I'd rather give, I will give a hat to that person, but not to a multimillionaire who's like a famous actor. There's no fucking way. To me, that doesn't make sense. You, I, I'll buy a ticket to go see your movie. You can come fucking here to buy a hat, you know? Yeah. And I think like what happened is by the nature of the real state of hats and where they sit, like I wear a hat, like it just would never get Photoshopped out, right? So I was really fortunate that in terms of like marketing, it was sort of luckily done done for me were you someone who wore hats all the time i didn't growing up you know my my um stepmother uh, she's not around anymore but when my you know when we were in france because i go back in the summertime to visit them she worked at hermes and she brought me back a gift which was uh which it was a hat from this company called Motch m-o-t-s-c-h which is uh which was bought by hermes and she gifted it to me, and I was like, immediately was like, wow, this is the difference between like, uh, this is a beautiful hat, you know. And I think that I, I saw the quality and, you know, was wearing hats from then on. But I wasn't like growing up as a kid wearing hats all the time, no. Um, so what was there a moment? I guess uh, when you, you know, you open this store and there's people walking in and you start seeing some really, you know, big major people taking an interest in what you're doing was there like a moment where you're like whoa there's like a like i'm building a business here this isn't just hanging out making hats and hopefully somebody buys them there's like more more to it than that i mean yeah you know i think it's like you hire one guy and then you hire somebody to help you with the administrative tasks and then you hire a seamstress and then you see it slowly building but you don't see it because it's sort of like happening in real time it's like I don't have kids, but I'm sure it's probably the same thing. It's like I see someone with their kids. I'm like, God, your kid got so big. They're like, really? Like, yeah. But it, I think that's sometimes how an organic business like really grows. But yeah, you uh, you know, I always attribute like a uh, looking back like a substantial um, kind of like change in the metrics of it all is when Pharrell wore our hats in the Grammys. Mm-hmm. And so did Madonna at the same time. Was it the really big one? It wasn't. That was a Vivian Westwood hat. But he then did an outfit change and did like a a performance with Daft Punk and Stevie Wonder, I think. That's right. That's right. And then, you know, that's when, when I look back, like things really changed and headwear. And then I started making all Pharrell, a lot of Pharrell's hats because they were like, we're trying to move away from this, you know, crazy you know, this crazy, like, hat that's sort of becoming, like, a big a bit of a mockery. And so we had to sort of, like, adjust his image to make it look a to make him more every day. So I know it's it's pretty uh, well known that you have a very unique technique when it comes to how you make your hats. You, you, you literally light them on fire, right? Is that something that you started doing from, like, the beginning, or did you I develop mean, that over time? No, you know, early on when I was learning the craft, it was part, it was... um. It was actually a necessary step in order to making the hat and, and, and making it silky and smooth. But I think I was I'm pretty ADD and I think I just maybe let it go a little too long and I was like, fuck, what do I, you know, what do I do? And I tried to sort of like save it and see what I could do. And, uh, you know, I realized it was like an interesting patina in it. And I think it's, it's something I learned early on was like, you always in life want to look for those happy accidents. And that was one of those where even when I'm designing a collection, whether it's for Paris, like I just try things. And if it's like, I cut it too much or it like, you know, it's, you kind of go with it. You follow the, the system through and see what it comes out to. And those are what I call the happy accidents. And I like pray for those that they happen, you know, because you just got to be in tune and aware in the creative process of doing things, you know, you can't premeditate those things. Right. Cause I feel like just being, you know, anything creative is one of those things where you obviously take a lot of inspiration from things that exist. Right. But sometimes, you know, it's, it's not that like our brains can't think that far or think that deep into something, but you, you just, it just, something happens where you're like, whoa, like 
that could really be something cool. Absolutely. That you just could never, like you said, premeditate. You could never even attempt to do it because you don't even know that that's possible without actually giving it a try and then something just happening out of it. Like yeah. whether it's art, whether it's music, whatever it might be. I feel yeah. like there are a lot of really, I've, I mean, I've, I've heard myself like people in the studio making a song and then they make this sound and all of a sudden they're like, I'm going to put that as the background of the, of the beat and all of a sudden it's like yeah. the main thing of the song. And with that, <laughs> you have to have to some level a certain amount of business acumen. You can't just, you know, be full blown like artist guy and, and just like create pieces. You have to have, figure out a way to like commercialize it and, and, and sell it, you know? But um, I think the creative part is something that you have to work like a muscle. It's like going to the gym. That's my. That's what I've learned over the years. You can't just like, you know, sit at home and be like, oh, I'm going to be an artist and be creative. You actually have to take action yeah. and do it every day, like going to the gym because it is a muscle. And if you don't work it out, you get weaker and weaker. And then you have to like start flexing again and doing the stuff at the gym. That's what I've come to realize, you know, because when I'm like working out hard at like thinking of creative ideas, they come flowing and pouring in. You know, if I take a break, it's good. You take a pause, you get re-inspired. It's like when you do something and you try too hard at it too, yeah. and then you stop and you take a break and then you come back. Like it, like yeah. if, it, you have your It's kind of like writer's block for like folks who write. Yeah. It's like you want to just take a little break, come back with a fresh Yeah, mind. but I think like, I think with like writer's block, you just got to beat it down, dude. You just got to do it, you yeah. know? Because like, uh, you know. Power through. You just got to power through. Um, It sounds like, you did, like you said, didn't really study business. You hadn't really seen how businesses operate growing up. You know, you worked here and there, but it wasn't like, you know, building a business. What were some of the early maybe things that I don't want to call them mistakes, but lessons that you learned like while building this thing into real business? Because you, at some point, you have to make sure that the money's there to keep sustaining the business and paying whoever you're paying and all that kind of stuff. What were some of those early lessons? That is there anything that in particular you could share? Well, yeah, I mean, I, one of my early mentors, this guy was saying, Bruce Wisnicki, who's a super successful businessman, always told me, lead with revenue, lead with revenue. And I'll, <laughs> I was like, okay. And then I was, and he was like, lead with revenue and get a good bookkeeper and accountant. And that's like exactly what I did, right? Someone that could, you know, tell me, hey, you spend too much, like, what's, you know, your cost of materials here is exponentially going up, like, you know, you got to watch out for this. And then, you fly. That's what, that's, that's like, you know, sort of like the 101 that I got. And, um, and, and it wasn't, you know, I, I, I was very, look, I bootstrapped this business the whole way through. I've had really limited resources. I'm so grateful to say like in this climate or whatever, like we're cash flow positive, like we're growing like 30% year over year. You got the lingo down. I've learned, but I learned this stuff over the years, you know, like, and to me, it's like, I always bring the, the, the metaphor. It's like, look, you can give me a book on how to ride it, drive a car. And like, I'll fucking read it forwards and backwards like a million times and I'll get into the car and I'll be like, where do I put the key? How do I turn it? To me, business is like life experience. Like throw me the keys to the car and then 15 minutes I'll be doing like wheelies and donuts and fucking shit out in the parking well, lot. Well, it sounds like you're fearless, right? But that's how I learned. It seems like you, even though you don't know what you're jumping into, you're just, you're just doing it anyways. I think that a lot of people, a lot of founders and entrepreneurs, you know, you alluded to the fact that this isn't necessarily that podcast, but it is. This is the story that's going to resonate with most people that don't necessarily know what they're taking the dive into. They're just trying to dive in, trying to figure things out. I mean, did that not scare you at all? I look back and it scares me more than it scares me at the actual time. But I look back and I'm like, holy shit. That like, was what was really, I doing? What was I doing? That was insane. This is so crazy. Like I did this on my own with like a, a nominal investment going into it with like just, just you know, and been so grateful that, you know, that wasn't the case. But I look back and I get more scared than when I do it. Like, you know, and I always tell people, man, if I would have known what I would have known back then today, like if I would have known what I know today back then, like I probably wouldn't have started. <laughs> but it's just like it's you just go through the you go through the weeds, man. You're just going through it and 
you know, I look back and those are some of the the funnest and happiest times I had. And, and like, you know, you didn't know if you were going to make it next month, if that client was going to come through and like save the month, save yeah. the day. And how long did that last? Because this is something that obviously, you know, a lot of times one of the advices you get in business is like build something that's repeatable. You can get repeat customers to keep coming back all the time so you can actually build like a you know, a, a, a profitable like revenue model, but you're, you're sort of in the luxury business where yeah. it's not as common, uh, uh, you know, it's not as frequent. Uh, I would, I should say like, it's, it's a little bit more few and far between, or perhaps it's not anymore at this point, but building but we have it a lot was, of repeat clients. Yeah. You know. But when you first try to get those clients, it's, it's, you're building towards that. Right. Um, like, like when did that kind of, uh, cycle sort of become a little bit more clear in terms of, all right, we're good now. Like we're not, we don't have to worry. It still isn't, you know, I'm still, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you just, it's fashion is a funny business, you know, it's a, it's a very, I would can imagine very different industry than, you know, with tech or real estate. It's, uh, you know, it's, you're dealing with consumers and people, you know, that, to be quite honest, you know, it's like I have my vision and my dream and my idea and people, you know, understand it and want to want to like, but no one needs 10 pairs of shoes, right? No one needs like 20 denim jeans. Like um, you guys probably have that, you know, we all do. I mean, we're just consumers, you know, but, but like the reality is, is like people, people evolve and change and want beautiful things. And I think like that's what fashion offers you know yeah. but i think in a lot of ways like what i tell my clients is like look how you have today you only you can you'll have it in like 50 years and you'll give it down to your kids not many other categories or accessories like can you buy and have forever like this is one of those pieces so i'm like very proud to say that yeah to me that's sustainable i mean when you yeah, exactly when you're talking about sustainability you're, you're mentioning plastics but like even in fashion right now with fast fashion and all that stuff it's it's not designed to last a long well, time yeah and a lot of people today are using that buzzword of sustainability but i don't really think that they know exactly what they mean they're throwing it around yeah. like what we do here is sustainable to me sustainability is you know utilizing the needs of the present without compromising the needs of the future and a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, like my brand's sustainable. I'm like, in like what ways? You're yeah. making things that are petroleum based that are like, right. you know, that <laughs> which is like the number that one break down industry. like in like, you know, a year that you need to buy again. Like that's fully not sustainable at all. Nick, we're obviously surrounded by a lot of hats and that's the business that you're in. But I also see backpacks and candles. I saw T-shirts online. I mean. Are you thinking about expanding the brand and the offering to even more than just hats? Yeah. I mean, you know, when I started this brand, my core category is to this day is headwear, is hats. But, um, you know, I always looked at fashion designers like Ralph Lauren, like Coco Chanel, like Halston, and, you know, like a lot of others that started out with a simple accessory, you know, like Ralph, as everyone knows, started out with a tie, Coco Chanel started with a hat, so did Halston, and they built their empire, they built their, their brand based on a category, and I think it was really important for me to make my mark on one thing, rather, because, you know, that was all the investment that I could have, so I was going to make a splash with, with what I did and wanted to be the leader of my category, which I, you know, humbly think I am. And be able to like go in through the industry through the back door rather than try to be like, here's my bags and here's my hat and here's my walls and here's my like, and like, you know, you want to be known for, for, you know, you want to be known for a thing. And I think that's where I was able to get my entry card in. And now because, you know, I have a vision and I have an idea and I have a, a creative expression is where. Like, I have the need personally to get into these other categories, these other accessories that, like, I'm very passionate about as well, you know? Like, otherwise, I end up becoming the Mad Hatter. Like, I'll go crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, how, but how do you envision this all playing out? Obviously, the, it's, it's named after you. It's your, it's your namesake. It's like, I'm sure you're very close to it. But do you see yourself running the business and doing this for the rest of your life? Or is it, do you have other sort of plans for y yourself Outside yeah. Of it. Yeah. No, we definitely, you know, I've just hired, which is so amazing to say, but in June I hired my, my first COO and that's been such an amazing 
learning experience for me to 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 really understand the inner inner working of 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 my brand and just business in general and um we have a lot of interesting you know plans going forward that we're currently you know that we're looking into but yeah i mean it's to continue to grow this my my vision in this empire and to go beyond just headwear for sure nick early on in the episode you talk about being an introvert you know almost being shy you said uh you said early on you were a kid who was shy um how does that play into you being a leader now right i mean being the face of you know your brand what do you see as the strengths of you as an introvert um you know growing this business you know it's a really good question i mean it's just who i am um I think I think it's part of my creative process. I have to just, you know, have to, I, I don't know. I mean, sorry, I'm jumbling over my words, but I think, um, I don't think it's, you necessarily need to be an extrovert to be a successful fashion designer. I think some of the artists I respect and love the most are people that are weird, introverted people. And I think I'm a weird, introverted person too. <laughs> is that i love it and the reason i ask is because you see a lot of these entrepreneurs founders that are you know so out there they're so extroverted and they're just so all over the place and they're always just talking and talking and doing whatever it is right and i'm not discrediting any of their efforts but i also just think that there's a lot of people out there that are you know introverted that just in general um they're not entrepreneurs but also they are entrepreneurs and i love that just the whole time i've been thinking right now uh, I love that you are an introvert because I, I want those that are listening that, you know, resonate with you to understand, you know, you don't have to be out there all the time. You don't have to have your face all over the place. You don't have to have, you know, all these videos and stuff just all about you and just, just be head down getting shit yeah. done. And I, yeah, and thanks for saying that because I always, what it makes me think is that story that we've all heard. It's like you go into a bar and, you know, what's the guy that's like all big and loud and that's like you know, the one to watch out for. It's like, no, dude, it's the quiet dude in the corner that knows like three different martial arts. I'll come and fucking whip that dude's ass, man. It's like the same thing. It's like, you know what? You don't have to like be loud and like tell everybody like I'm doing this, that, yeah. and the other. It's like, just be the humble guy that, I mean, that's, I, I'm like about humility. That's my fucking thing, dude. Like, and I see that in other people, and I'm like, that's a quality that like I appreciate and admire, you know. And I don't think that a super successful businessman needs to be loud and talk about his profit and loss, you know, his P and L and all the money that he has. And I think I don't think that that's the requirement to being a successful entrepreneur at all. Yeah, unless it's a your your public company and you have to give an earnings call, and that's a whole different uh, ball game. This has been an amazing conversation, man. Thank you so much for being on the show Thank and you sharing guys. your story. It's awesome to learn. This was amazing about the you know backstory of Nick Fouquet, and and it's amazing to see what you built, and we'll, we're excited to see what comes next. Thank you guys so much. <laughs>